Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. My name is Eric Wickland, and I'm the Technology and Innovation Editor here at Health Leaders. This podcast is sponsored by Walters Kluwer Health, bringing you up-to-date, the premier resource for clinical information and treatment recommendations used by more than 2 million total users worldwide. Visit go.uptodate.com forward slash healthleaders underscore podcast to learn more. We're doing something a little bit different for today's podcast, uh, our last podcast of 2023. I have three guests here to discuss the healthcare innovation landscape in 2024, each with a slightly different perspective. Um, I've got Tim Cook, CEO and Medical Center Director at Orlando VA Healthcare. I've got Bill Cap, CEO of Fountain Life, growing concierge care provider with a heavy presence in digital health. And I have Doran Behar, CEO of Identify, which is in the genetic medicine arena. Welcome everyone. Um, and thanks for, for joining me today. I'm just gonna jump right into the conversation because uh, we got kind of a lot to talk about. You know, as we go into 2024, um, healthcare innovation is one of the more popular and exciting uh, aspects of the of the healthcare ecosystem these days. What are the factors that you see shaping innovation for the coming year? Um, I'm going to open this up. You know, I'll, I'll point to someone first virtually, and anybody can chime right in. Um, Bill, why don't you start? And you are mute. No problem with that. I'm so used to Zoom. How about now? Good? Yes. All right, great. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, You know, uh, my background is an orthopedic surgeon and molecular geneticist as well as uh, CEO of Fountain Life. And I think one of the big challenges uh, going forward is, you know, obviously everybody's concerned about healthcare costs. Uh, you know, cost labor costs are, are crushing the systems today, as well as supply cost, and and then reimbursement continues to be a challenge. And one of the um, you know one of the pivotal studies we've done inside of Fountain is really looking the whole era of prevention and using uh, new tools to detect disease at its earliest stage and reverse it while you're still in an asymptomatic stage. And I think what we're going to see over the next year or two, particularly because of the push through government uh, and payers is the idea of instead of waiting until you're having a four alarm fire, uh, i.e. you've had a full blown heart attack or you're at stage four cancer, start to detect these problems at such an early stage that the intervention and the treatment is extremely easy. And so what we're seeing and with some of the innovations I've seen this last year, which we'll be hopefully rolling out this next year, uh, is that uh, some of the imaging technologies where you now will be able to get a whole body MRI within you know, probably under 30 minutes and then have that read very rapidly uh, with an AI. Uh, and then in also advanced cardiac screening, detecting asymptomatic disease and, and cardiac reversal. Those are the two things that we've seen that I think I'm the most excited about. And um, But a lot of this, we, we have the confluence of what I call the omics happening now, genomics, uh, metabolomics, proteomics, uh, it's a massive, massive data algorithm. And AI, while being very good at improving on the diagnostic acumen of clinicians, I think we have to go further one step up and eventually at some point work our way into the big data algorithm so that we're not just looking at you know causes and symptoms and uh, Q&A with the patients to detect things early. Nice. You mentioned genomics, and this is, I think, where Doron is going to come in uh, on this conversation. Tell us a little bit about what you're looking for in 2024. Absolutely. So first, thank you for having us here, Eric, and thank you, Bill, for this uh, great introduction, because I really uh, I completely agree with what you have said. And I think that uh, 
something fundamental to understand about genomics is that one of its primary goals is to be able to identify risk per patient. So if we are speaking about precision medicine as a goal that we want to thrive to, if we are speaking about genomic medicine, prevention medicine, actually genomic medicine is medicine for all. It's medicine for the healthy population because we are trying to prevent diseases at an earlier and earlier stage. So I think that uh, we are going to start seeing nationwide uh, adoption of a few uh, areas that genomics can assist a lot. I'm going to mention them. And uh, uh, I think that we are also going to start seeing it regulatory-wise. I mean, it's going to be starting to be requested. I'm going to look at one field, pharmacogenomics. Pharmacogenomics is the art of uh, prescribing a drug not based on trial and error, but maybe on some more empiric data from the genome. I think that we have come to a critical uh, point in which the genomic solutions, the technologies, can allow a large amount of variants to be screened for, and we can give a real good, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a understanding, a real understanding of what the patients will be most aided by, and that should be part of prescribing a drug. We should avoid the adverse reaction and, and so forth. So that's a very important field. Of course, second one, which has been spoken about widely, is the field of oncogenomics, which is again the, the, an attempt to identify risk at individuals who are completely healthy today, but that can go into some actionable uh, uh, testings to prevent breast cancer, colon cancers, and so forth. And of course, uh, that is something which will affect the health of each individual worldwide and certainly nationwide. Then we have to look at a, a very strong, a, a, a very strongly at the field of maternal fetal medicine, and we do know that genomic medicine there can assist in preventing a newborn with autos rare autosomal recessive disorders and identify more uh, uh, diseases that are happening that that are happening actually at the embryo. So these are things that are uh, quite, uh, uh, I think, quite on the horizon. Will will happen quite fast now. I'm not going into cardiogenomic and, and so forth. There are a lot, a lot of different uh, diseases, but just as examples, I think that this is what we are going to see from genomics in the coming one, two years. Yeah. Nice, thank you. And and Tim, I believe the VA hospital system is the largest health system in the U.S. and also mm -hmm. one of the biggest adopters of telehealth and virtual care. You know, how do you see innovation uh, playing a part in in VA healthcare in the coming year? Yeah, I, you know, I've um, first of all, thank you again for for having me to be part of this i'm i'm really honored uh you know there's the the ceo of the orlando healthcare system you know i didn't i, I wasn't started off as a ceo i started off as a as an engineer so electrical engineering is my background and innovation is my game right so part of this is not just uh like figuring out how to to manage the genome which i love by the way Right. I'm a big fan of the genome. Got a few myself. What I'm <laughs> what I'm really happy about, though, is that there's a multitude of smaller, uh, maybe less extravagant, less costly opportunities for innovation that take place like rapid fire every single day. And the advancement of those are what I see as the accelerator. Right. So how do we continue to support um, enliven 
the process of what happens. And in a massive healthcare system, you'd think that we'd be pretty stodgy, that we would take a lot of time to overly analyze every single aspect of every single process. Well, we, we do this in total, like multi-parallel uh, fashion. And what is really great about that is that each of these um, centers uh, that we have throughout the, the country, a lot of us are participating in innovative species, right? So we have a, a greenhouse network, we have shark tanks, we have all of these wonderful programs that allow the 400,000 employees of the VA to be the engines, right? To all have an engine and to have a participation in, in seeing us forward. Uh, we're not going to rely upon um, one thing to get us by. We are really looking at this as a, an entire compass. The VA has been innovating for years and years and years and years. I mean, some of the earliest uh, medical uh, advancements were done by the VA, right? You talk about heart transplants and uh, liver transplants, um, just to name a few. Not only the computerized medical record all started in their their very basis with the VA. You know, I mean, who else could fund something that massive and tell people exactly what to do? That was the VA. Right? So thank, you're welcome. No, just saying. Um, <laughs> we we have that responsibility too, is to include that in everything that we do. So uh, provider, uh, residencies, education, and starting from the ground up, not just all of us. But if we're talking about this and getting people interested in it, we're going to do that at the very second that they start participating in healthcare. Right? We don't want to wait till they get so far out that it's now us trying to to bring them back. It is very genesis at which they start that we begin that process. So I don't know if it's a long answer to a short question, uh, but thank you, Eric. Uh, really appreciate the the time that you've given us to talk about this because it is a big deal. Right? We don't stop telehealth. When I mean, we had before, we've had telehealth for decades. Yes. Before before COVID, it was 90% face to face. The almost within within a month of COVID, even less than that, probably closer to two and a half weeks, we went to 90% telehealth, 10% face to face because that was you know like the oncology and all the other pieces that are still absolute face to face. We were able to flip that really quick. And then get back to a more settled but a very forward-leaning uh, group in helping us find ways to help serve veterans even better in their even their homes uh, without having to travel, which is a big deal for veterans with the average average age over 65. So we're we're leaning into that pretty heavily. Now, as we move forward. Um what are the specific technologies and, and strategies, the new ones coming out that you're looking forward to using in, at the VA next year? I, I, yeah, obviously, I'm starting with Tim here. Oh, yeah. You're going to let me roll. I just had an extra <laughs> cup of coffee. So uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you, you might want to throw a flag every once in a while if I go out and get out of control. Uh, you know, what technologies like the, the artificial intelligence obviously is one of the biggest ones. We've got 
our own within our network, the Florida and um, uh, Puerto Rico, we have our own AI council, which allows us to invest in strategic best practices for those areas, but to also not forget that we are a network and we get to experiment together and pilot some of these interesting technologies uh, as a as a network. And then we have a much easier spread, uh, quicker with uh, less disruption because we've had gone through all of the requirements, the statistics, the analyses, the, whatever we needed to do to make that happen. So those are very exciting for us. We're all about trying to figure out how to uh, alleviate some burnout like everybody else, right? You hear the word burnout. Well, in some ways, burnout is life, you know, that, but then there's the excessive burnout, which comes from unnecessary practices. And that's the part that we're very, very interested in, to, to hone what we do so that we t eliminate some of the nonsensical uh, requirements that are more administrative and less clinical, giving the power back to the clinician with the eyeballs to the veteran saying, here we are, we're here to help you. How do we do this in not only a face to but that virtual environment with artificial intelligence and uh, with the predictive health? I love that topic of targeted health and professional advice given by the evidence that surrounds us and not having to rely upon just one person at one time with one with one textbook. I mean, that that's about as old school as I can possibly think of when all of this is right here in front of us. And I don't think there's anybody disagreeing with the fact that we have to be cautious about rushing off in, you know, into the dark. But we have a responsibility to use what's there. And and, you know, responsibility to be responsible, if there's, you know, crazier way to say that. But there, there's that need to, to still lean forward, right, to still know that we've got our, our, our veterans um, quality care and safety at our at our foremost. But we are going to to chip away at those edges. But we're going to do it very directly. It sounds like a lot of the innovation we're seeing or we're going to see in the coming year is 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 taking a step back instead of the episodic care that we've seen in healthcare for so long. Um, you know, the patient comes to you with an injury, with a with an illness, with a health concern. A lot of this now, and especially with AI, is identifying upstream uh, health and wellness, uh, reaching out as 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 all you said to the health to the patient before these these concerns show up, uh, reaching out to healthy patients and and identifying uh, potential causes of concern. Uh, uh, Bill, you know you're in an arena that's heavily using digital health to do this to to start with the healthy patient and plot a course of life, health and wellness and so on and so forth that that that. that catches these concerns and addresses them earlier. It, it, how do you see that path evolving in 2024? What other tools and technologies can you put to use? Yeah, so um, so what, uh, there are several technologies that we're using, as you might imagine. So one of the things, you know, we built our original four, four Fountain Life Centers as really test beds uh, to be able to test this concept of can you detect disease early? And, and what I'm most excited about is the possibility of reversing it when you catch it early or treating it at such an early stage. Uh, you know, lowering healthcare costs is is a huge focal point. The challenge is not in the VA particularly, but in the rest of the system, is that the incentives are totally misaligned. 
we only pay doctors to treat you after you're broken. We don't pay them to really keep you healthy. The VA is an exception because they have a very proactive approach. But in the rest of the healthcare system, doctors are not paid as well to keep you healthy as they are to treat your episodic condition. And because of that, we've, we've kind of created a, a little bit of a problem. But but what we're excited about is this idea, you know, we have a data platform now, and we think the paradigm shift has to happen. We're at 20% of GDP right now. Uh, we're spending $4.5 trillion on healthcare, and we have some of the worst outcomes in the world. So the point being, you know, we while we're great when you want to have a coil in your brain or a total knee replacement or the latest you know, uh, chemotherapeutic or biologic, that's great. But the reality is all of these problems, very similar to aviation, could be stopped when it, they're in their infancy with a proactive program and not have to deal with the long-term uh, problems. And so we're excited because we've got a digital data platform now that can actually measure and collect data from your lifestyle as well as your medical record and combine that into a digital twin that not only is um, you know facing the clinician, but through a, an app, we can actually project that information to you as a patient. So one of the challenges is that you know patients or or governments or insurers they all pay for the health uh, data, but we really do a very poor job at presenting the data to patients in a in a um, in a way at which they can become CEO of their own health. And this is the challenge. We need better UI, better UX, where people know what levers they need to move on a day-to-day -day basis in order to improve their health. And the challenge with it has been most of that data has been locked up between the four walls of the doctor's office or behind the hospital. And patient portals, quite frankly, are not very useful. I don't care which patient portal I've seen. I've seen a lot of different ones. But they don't measure your, they measure everything that happens inside the four walls of the doctor's office. But let's face it, 90% of healthcare, if not 95%, happens outside the doctor's office. And we don't measure any of that, i.e. nutrition, exercise, diet, sleep, uh, you know, uh, all the things in your environment. You know, the environment's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. What is your environment of your home? You know, what's air quality, water quality? These things are now easily measured, and it needs to be part of the health record. So we, we have this data platform that can start to collect that data, and we really believe over the next uh, five years, for sure, that the four walls of the primary care doctor's office are going to dematerialize to the four walls of your home. Because the point is, unless you need a procedure done, probably, you probably need a once a year visit with your primary care doctor. And right now, you don't see the primary care doctor even that frequently because most people don't go in for the standard physical. And they don't go in for the standard physical for a lot of reasons. But one is, it's a very uncomfortable exam, right? Here's your paper <laughs> yeah. gown, strip down, we're going to have you sit on the, the table that looks like a veterinary table with some paper on it. And by the way, let me pull out this 200-year-old stethoscope to see if I can hear and feel to determine how much plaque you have in your arteries. Well, that's never going to happen, right? If you want a proactive approach to healthcare, you've got to use modern tools to assess people at scale so that you can then create the digital twin so that they have more information about themselves than anyone else does. And what we know with our patients is once they see their plaque score from clearly with an AI overlay, it changes behavior. You know, it's no longer, hey, take this statin because your LDL is high. It's take this statin because, by the way, you've got a plaque burden of this, and we're going to show you how to reverse that. It becomes a different, it's a totally different discussion with patients. And I think as we move down this road, information is power. And I think we do not give our patients enough information about their health on a day-to-day -day basis. And quite frankly, we're using population health metrics in a world when we need to be doing individual health metrics.
because let's face it, we're a genetically heterogeneous population in the United States, the most heterogeneous probably outside of maybe the UK. We have different lifestyles. We have different uh, genetics. We have different uh, socioeconomic determinants. You have to measure people on a one-off basis in order to be able to give them a guide uh, guidepost to be able to hit. And I think we can do that. I think where I'm excited about the, the advent of AI is what we have in our system right now is we can collect all your data and then use a large language model to give you a summary of your health record and then convert it to layman's terms so you can actually read it. Now, those are really powerful when you can read your own health history rather than it being only the purvey of the doctor and the nurse. And then the second part of this is the ability now for large language models to read all of the medical literature, because the reality is right now there are about 4,000 medical articles published worldwide every single day. It is impossible for a physician to possibly think that they're even on the cutting edge. And I always tell our patient, our clients, I said, if your doctor says they know the exact cutting edge thing that's going on right now, you should go get another opinion. Because the reality is, if you don't have a little humility about how much medical knowledge is being generated, whether it be accurate or inaccurate, the reality is we need better tools to do that. And some of the large language models can do that today. Nice. Uh, at Bill, again, you you segue perfectly for me into uh, the idea of personalized care, precision care, genetics, genomics, um, which brings me to Doran again. You know, do hospitals and health systems understand the value? of this of, of this emerging area of yeah. technology and and what do you what do you do to get them interested so first absolutely and i think that i want to maybe uh, try to say that uh, and i think that everybody will agree with me here is that the uh, good medicine is becoming a little bit of an engineering problem because we have this mass amount of data that we need to somehow summarize for the patient and be able to inform them so that, uh, what, what we are actually looking is uh, uh, into ways to go beyond telemedicine. So we still have to remember that telemedicine has a healthcare provider in the other side of the line. But why don't we see a different concept which we are trying to implement now? We are implementing actually a, a, a for genomics in which the, an AI mechanism is allowing to sort out the low risk versus the high risk patient and messages can be delivered via an AI algorithm. We are using multimedia, which can speak different languages, for example, which is a huge burden. You have a lot of languages spoken in the in the US. So how about if you can transmit to all of the patients new messages using new ways to communicate and saw the time of the supervising healthcare provider to see only the patient that have a problem that needs to be addressed now. I think this is something which is a, a widely accepted. A, in the field of genomics, we see a, it's very, very, a, it's, it's becoming very important because a, there are only 7,500 genetic counselors worldwide, which of course is an insignificant number compared to the need to explain about genomics. So if we can augment the power of, of, of genetic cancer and allow each of them to supervise. So we have to be very careful in, of course, in medicine. So AI will not decide on the treatment. AI will show things to the medical profession. They will keep on sending it to everybody. But absolutely ways to communicate with patients, uh, uh, you know, beyond telemedicine using, uh, using, a, using a, an, an AI mechanism. 
I think that uh, similarly to this, we have a huge uh, issue with EMRs. We've just heard, a, I mean, great example. You want to put it at the level of the VA hospitals and you want to take an omic approach, as, as Bill is saying, which is tons of data. Current EMRs are unable to absorb it yet. So I'm looking right. for the next steps in which EMRs will be able to tolerate all of this. And of course, do things as, as simple as I prescribe a, a medicine and I'm trying to prescribe it to the patient, but the computer is holding me and saying, no, that will not help because there are this and this pharmacogenomics information, and this is the kidney functions, and this is the liver function, and assist the medical doctor. And eventually, something which is fundamental for me to understand as a medical doctor is that digital help, digital medicine, medicine is allowing me more time to look to the eye of the patient because maybe the computer can assist with all the bureaucratic stuff, all the decisions that can be made that I can tell the patient, the, the, the computer, if this and this and this happened, that's what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, can I add on to the end of that statement really quick? Certainly. Yes. Just real, real quick, because we, we're focusing an awful lot on sort of that, the, that allopathic methodology for all of this, right? What, what we need to continue to expand beyond this and really get into our the mental health components of all of what we're doing with, because mm -hmm. it, right, it is very easy to deal with some, uh, you know, the, the absolute medical necessity. But mo what we mostly don't get is the leading factors, the other pieces that now move into in areas like suicide prevention, like how do we work so that we can uh, eliminate homelessness, right? Those are two of the VA's biggest causes, the things that we need to do. And part of that is is the is metabolic, but part of that is also how do we manage mental health at the very same time using these tools and, and weaving them together at, uh, at the critical juncture where we could help beyond beyond just that horizon of of the chemistry and where do we get into the the brain so that's that was just my tag on for that last piece because we've been talking a lot about oncology you know laboratory we got all that but we have to really start to dig a little bit deeper uh, into that uh, into that brain element certainly mental health plays a uh, plays a significant role in almost every single healthcare incident um, and a lot of it often is, is unaddressed is, you know, we, we deal with the physical ailments and we don't think about the underlying mental health concerns that either causes or will or will result because of this. Yes. Um, just wanted to know, I, I, I expected this. I knew this was going to happen. We we've been talking so much and we could talk forever about this, but we're going to run up to the end of the uh, the podcast here. So I want to get one last question in. Um, you know what? What is going to be the biggest innovation or the biggest news that will come out of the coming year in healthcare innovation? Um, I'm going to start with Doran on this one. So I'm going to give you a, a somewhat maybe unique uh, opinion that I see that is happening. Mm -hmm. I think that the the reimbursement, the insurance policies must be resolved somehow so that patients have more clarity and that they can approach medical medical assistance with accessibility it should be accessible approachable and affordable 
And that's what I think that we should do. And I think a lot of it, what we hear, has to be able to eventually take this very complex billing scheme and make it easy for the payers, for the healthcare providers, and for the uh, end patients. Because many times, the solutions are there. They need to be able to access them. So I think I like for me, it. this is the key element and the, uh, beyond what we spoke, of course, so far here. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's certainly very, very good. Uh, Bill, same question. You know, what's what's going to be the biggest uh, impact in, in, in innovation in 2024? Yeah, well, I think what one of the things is I think we're going to see continue to see this push toward uh, more proactive approach toward healthcare. It's the only way we're going to lower costs. But I think what is also very interesting, and it may not happen in the next year, but certainly within the next couple, uh, is the data that we're seeing coming out of uh, George Church's lab in the Buck Institute on really starting to reverse the aging process. And this, uh, there was a large uh, scale prize that uh, one of our executive chairman, Peter Demandis, uh, just announced in Riyadh uh, at one of the, the large conferences for Evolution there, uh, which is the Saudi fund that's going to put $10 billion over the next, a billion dollars a year over the next t- uh, 10 years to uh, address aging or health span. Uh, and eliminating what we call the lost decade, you know, the last decade of which you spend in decline and compressing morbidity to a very small area of time. But what is interesting is uh, having come out of George, uh, been with George Church just recently this summer uh, and seeing him in, at Harvard and some of the technologies coming. We are on the cusp of this. This is already proven in the animal models. And so this idea of extending the healthy human lifespan, I think, is definitely going to be there. You know, we'll be in non-human primate trials uh, Q1 of next year uh, in several labs. And so I think, you know, once again, we've got a lot of base work to do. Number one, we got to get to the prevention so we don't develop the longstanding chronic diseases. But secondarily, uh, a healthy uh, you know, aging population should be all of our goals, especially with a collapsing uh, birth rates around the world. I think that's going to be a continued front and center for us. Very good. Thank you. And Tim, you get the last word on this. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I, I can't compete with you guys. This is uh, there, there's just so much great things happening in the world of high high tech uh, improvements and, and innovation. I would say the, the thing that I can bank on uh, is that with ordinary simulation, right, things that we would just ordinarily simulate in a safe environment are going to be so greatly expanded upon using artificial intelligence and the repetitive uh, ability to test so many different models simultaneously without having to go back. I think that's going to, the net result of that is going to be trust in the system, which right now still has to be built uh, in that, but it has to be done safely, rapidly. And then the cost impact will be seen and how investments now are being made in these technologies because people are not looking at it as being, you know, like so, so far out there, right? Like uh, I, I relate everything that I, that I know to uh, the movies, which I, I know are copyrighted, so I'm not going to use anything, but if you use any of these movie uh, uh, topics and think, well, this could be bad. Well, yes, that's really, but it's not the, the so many, uh, so much of what we talk about every single day does have bad or negative connotations, but it it seems to be the one thing that drags us backwards. But I think through that simulated model, 
I think we're going to get the trust we need. I think we're going to have the buy-in. I think the cost will start to come down. And then from there, I mean, the, I think the it's limitless at that point. And that's that's not a movie reference. That's just the thing. <laughs> I like this. These three different, uh, really three different ideas that I hadn't considered when I started this podcast that, that what we're going to see in the future, uh, payers, uh, value, understanding value and, and making it easier for healthcare to access or for patients to access healthcare without worrying about payment, um, healthy aging and trust in healthcare, trust in the health, trust in the system. Really, Thank you, all three of you, for a, a wonderful conversation today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on board and, and giving us a, a glimpse into what we're going to see in the coming year in healthcare innovation. Thank you for Thank having you, me. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Very nice to meet you, gentlemen. Thank you. You too. Very good. Thank you. All right. Take and, care, guys. And, and with that, thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We will be back next Tuesday, next year, uh, with more healthcare industry insights.